You're listening to the HSDNA podcast from the Garden State. Your hosts, Justin Starbird and principal of HS Design, Tor Alden, walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's Justin Starbird and Tor Alden. Welcome back. This is Justin Starbird, and I am on today with uh, Tor Alden, principal from HS Design. Welcome in, Tor. Thanks for uh, joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Justin. Today is a uh, pretty pretty neat topic uh, to be talking about. One that I'm particularly interested in, and also something that you know uh, HS Design and you've built a career in and around, and that's. Uh, medical product development. Uh, so what I want to do today is, you know, talk a little bit about HSD and, and then kind of get into um, the different, you know, elements of medical product development. So I guess, uh, for, you know, first we'll start off if you don't mind as principal of HSD, you know, tell us a little bit about HS design and what you guys do down in New Jersey. Yeah, sure. And thanks. And, and you're right. It is an exciting uh, time for us to be in the medical space. Um, prior to being in HS design, I, I was at Bell Laboratories and always in a technical sector. Uh, but the difference between medical and, and other product development uh, sectors is, is, is different. And uh, I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about it. Uh, so yeah, HSD, uh, we're currently as uh, a certified uh, ISO 1345 medical design firm. Um, we've evolved into this over 40 years of experience in the medical and life science space. Uh, one of the things that we've always had a focus in is solving complex problems, first of kind medical devices, basically taking a proof of concept out of the lab or out of the, you know, the, uh, the, the research and humanizing it, commercializing it. And that's really what gets us excited and, and that's what we've, we've really narrowed down as our niche. Uh, we work in the medical life science, surgical and consumer healthcare space. Uh, growing part of our business is in combination products, dealing with a higher volume, uh, more patient-centric and also more disposable-centric. Sure. Um, we do this um, you know, with sort of a, uh, collaborative uh, resource that includes design research, human factors, industrial design, user interface design, engineering, and rapid prototyping. Mm -hmm. And then we basically fulfill the need to commercialize it through uh, our partnerships with global contract manufacturing teams uh, aimed at rapid transfer to production. So at what, you know, at what stage uh, does a client engage you? Um, you know, wh where do you, you know, do you guys come up with the, the idea and then, and then look for an outlet or does somebody have an idea and then come to you to help, you know, crystallize it and pull it together? That's a great question. Um, so we are a fee for service firm for the most part. And that means that we rely on, uh, either fortune 100, fortune 500 or, um, uh, startups, you know, uh, high technology startups to come to us with a problem. Uh, and that problem may be 
a reskin of an existing device or, a, you know, a re remodeling or a re-need for an existing device, or maybe coming out of a new need of a, a new product or a new uh, ability to, you know, a new pharmaceutical or, or a new uh, way of, of operating procedure is done in that we would create a, um, a whole new type of device and, and system. Uh, but, you know, we do have a little venture part of our business um, and we, we've worked on, on some products ourselves, but for the most part, we are dependent on our clients. Yeah, sure. Well, so when you have a, a client come to you, uh, that's, you know, looking at, you know, product development, you know, what do you walk them through in terms of like key differentiations, you know, versus, you know, of medical product development versus, you know, maybe other areas? Sure. Um, so, I mean, industrial design as a whole is pretty, pretty open and, and diverse. And when it comes to product development, the big differentiation between medical uh, is, is in the process of quality and the certification of, of how we do things. Um, so there's been some amazing changes in the landscape since I first started as a designer. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be that anybody could do medical or, or uh, electronic or consumer product and it, and it really didn't have any differentiation. Now, um, um, and, and I guess I'll even step back further. I would say even 10 years ago, the medical space was underappreciated. Uh, design was really driven uh, based on, you know, the ruggability uh, or, you know, having to have a 10 plus year obsolescence for medical. So everything was beige in the, in the operating rooms. Nobody dared make any changes to electronics that may sort of go out of trend within the next few years. So it was a really different world between medical and consumer product. Uh, now with the addition of technology, personalized, personalized healthcare, and even just, you know, that increased patient focus, we're seeing medical device design rival some of the best consumer product design um, in, in the areas of industrial design, user interface. Um, and, and, I, and I, I personally think that, that technology has helped uh, increase the obsolescence. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so products are becoming uh, obsolete, uh, obsolete uh, quicker. Uh, there's a much bigger push now to bring the costs per the device down. Uh, which you know brings into consumer process uh, consumer product principles, and um, I think you know the final thing that I think really happened is uh, patients have an increased empowerment. Uh, it's the products are getting pay, uh, closer to the patients, and they care more about it. And the and the actual users, even doctors and nurses, care more about what the product looks like and feels like to them. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with this convergence of, you know, technology, uh, information that's available, and then, you know, both patient and, and user demands, you know, how has that changed the current state of, you know, you know product development and, and even how you decide which projects you take on versus which, which ones you punt? Yeah, that's, a, that's another good question. I mean, that's a tough one for, for us because, as I mentioned before, we, we um, are, are, you know, we look for our clients. So by turning down a, a potential opportunity, um, that's tough for us. Uh, but we have made the choice to really focus in the medical life science sector. Mm -hmm. um, the, 
the basic methodology and the certifications that we had to do to satisfy uh, ISO 1345 and uh, others like 62366 really um, make us have to fit this uh, the one methodology of, of um, or one process uh, for for product development. Uh, I'll say that that that's being said. Um, we've done it in a way that will increase time to market and reduce change activity. So there are some benefits to that. Um, and how does that, you know, speak to how that actually helps the end client or, or even the end user at the end of the day? Sure. So um, there are times when you're sort of presenting a, a project and you've been involved in it for several uh, weeks or months and, you know, the CEO of uh, the client may walk in the room and, and just kind of ask, well, how did we get here? And everybody will look around and this is like, t you know, 10 years ago or so people would try to make shortcuts and, and, to, and get product out to prototyping faster. And they would be missing some key decision making, or if they made a decision, they wouldn't know how they got there. Mm -hmm. um, with, with really being, um, with having that QMS process in place, we're able to document not only how we got there, but why we got there. So for example, um, the FDA uh, has guidance documents that, that really sort of outline um, the proper way to develop a product or how they would prefer. And that's basically formed by um, a lot of guidance from AMI, uh, the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instruments. Uh, they're in charge of, of writing the, the, these documents that the FDA uses for guidance, right? Uh, such as HE75 and 62366. Uh, so that being said, uh, they really want to know more about the front end of the design, how, how these initial user needs become, how do you develop a product requirement specification, um, the risk analysis. All of these things are done ahead of time prior to really pencil on paper. So we'll, we'll go to uh, watch a surgical procedure in a contextual inquiry mode where it's basically being a fly in the wall, watching the surgeons and the nurses collaborate together, seeing how they work with that product and, and where the main pitfalls or where the opportunities are, where we can collect insights and bring them back. Once we collect those insights, the team can basically create concepts and system architectures workflows that we believe will solve those problems that we've seen. Mm -hmm. But we, before we even go further than that, we bring them back to the doctors and nurses, what we call formative evaluations or formative tests, where we'll bring these concepts to them, maybe in prototype forms, maybe in a wireframe, uh, depending on the sophistication of the product. Uh, it may be a picture, and, and if it's simple enough, we'll have foam prototypes for them to hold and, and, and talk through we'll actually get their insight on which is their preferred. And we do that in a, in a quantitative method where we'll, we'll have a, a, an actual uh, ranking and a result of, of, of the preferences. And this gets through the whole documentation process, which the FDA likes to see. And finally, when it goes into market or production, we actually have to do a final verification or validation actually, which they call summative test. Mm -hmm. where we'll actually use, we'll bring the product to those users, different users, and we'll watch them use it and making sure that they can operate it, whether it has a training curve or whether it has an instruction for use, but they have to do it 
inherently on their own without use error. And that really is the differentiation in a nutshell between medical product development and a consumer, for example. Uh, if a consumer product fails, uh, the, the user might get frustrated. In a medical product, the user might die. Right. <laughs> not, not to be too visceral or anything, but yeah, yeah. no, that's a, that is um, absolutely true. And I, I love how you, you know, go into a little bit of detail about the, I don't want to say field trips that you take, but you know, the way in which you, you know, take the extra time to look at how it's being used or what the current operation and procedures are versus, you know, how you could potentially improve that. You know, that doesn't, it's not all that common with, you know, firms like yours. A lot of times, you know, you get the specs and you just start going to work and going design. When did you decide that that was going to be part of the process for some of these, you know, this development, this design, and then eventually development of these products? Yeah, it's a great, uh, another great question. And and it's, it's one of those, um, it was a strategic decision on our part. Uh, we felt that we needed to be more than a design firm. You know, we could, we could have uh, been a design firm where other um, product development firms would come to us and source out the design, but we would lose control of the human factors. We would con- lose control of the engineering. So part of the magic that we are able to do now in this sort of collaboration of, of specialties is to work very tightly together to try and prove out some of the, the more challenging uh, system architectures, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, from that perspective, product development was a good fit. Uh, the fact that we're not an OEM or, or an actual um, manufacturer sort of puts us on an even playing field that we're not really, um, we don't have any prejudices towards different processes or manufacturing processes. So we're open-minded into uh, exploring, you know, new, new avenues for, for, uh, manufacturing. Sure. And yeah. So, you know, as you go through those different, uh, evaluations and process and you, you know, you get out into the field, you go back to the, uh, go back to the firm and, you know, start, you know, putting pen to paper, if you will, or, you know, putting the design together and then eventually, um, you know, making sure you hit the checklist of the FDA, what are some of the challenges that that are presented on on that side of things where you know you're forced to you know follow some of the regulatory uh, you know steps and, and that are necessary to actually move to be a medical grade device you know i feel like you know a lot of that is not i don't want to say it's been politicized but it has been and uh you know what are some of the challenges that you're seeing and are any of them relevant you know to the design aspects uh that you can discuss um, yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Um, a lot of people, when they hear the word FDA, get scared or they, they get mad or they just say, oh, you know, this is a problem. Um, we actually get along pretty well with the FDA and, and we agree with a lot of their, their, the processes that they're, they're asking for because they make a lot of common sense. I mean, if you design in a common sense methodology, uh, you're well on your way of meeting all the FDA requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that said, it, it, that's the same kind of that holds true to a QMS uh, procedure or a, a process. When we first uh, signed up for, for getting involved in the 1345, uh, we sort of took a textbook approach to it. We, uh, 
created what we thought were were our goals and we were struggling through it and we were trying to figure out why you know we had a creative roadblocks or we we couldn't you know design was worried about being handicapped in in uh, not being able to push the boundaries we quickly learned through through the years of being and, and specifically when we went through uh iso 1345 2016 um and as the bar even rose higher that we we got smarter in how we we uh worked through that we actually uh wrote our methodologies in the way that we actually do our business so um in essence we've just streamlined and and became more efficient in how we work yes we have to have design uh um history files yes we have to have you know uh, uh risk management files and and a little bit more paperwork here and there but it but uh in the end it's really helping the designers bring forward some ideas that may not have ever been uh, available in the, in, in the past. So for example, um, with the FDA sort of encouragement that, that uh, medical device companies do contextual inquiry, we're able to capture a lot more marketing insights uh, that lead to um, advantages, strategic advantages to, to our clients. And the designers are able to capture those into meaningful physical or uh, screen uh, concepts that that will help the client ultimately differentiate themselves and create more market share. So, in, in, you know, for us, it's been a good, good change. And, uh, you know, it's only getting better. Well, you know, that's really great to hear because, you know, as you go through those different processes and, and check marks or check boxes, if you will, uh, from the FDA, you know, and to hear that it's more efficient, actually, it's got to be a breath of fresh air to clients as they, you know, worry about the the cost and the time to commercialization from inception, right? And then um, to, to, to know that it doesn't impede advancements or that it doesn't impede efficiency has also got to be a relief. What kind of technological advances or, you know, um, new tools to your belt, if you will, have you been able to, you know, include in your design and, and development of new medical devices over the last couple of years? Sure. Um, well, before we go there, I just want to make make it clear that, you know, the 510K is still the easy button for, or the easier button for the FDA. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what we do, a, a PMA or a combination product development takes more time and it is, you know, um, it is more costly. So um, there are rights to be somewhat, um, you know respectful of the FDA, right? Right, right. Well, yeah, of course. And, you know, that's important to point out too, right? So, um, you know, it's, it, it, this, this uh, could be its own set of recorded interviews about regulatory process and, and uh, you know, clear, uh, clearance from the FDA and what's required. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll get into that another time. Yeah, sure. So, you know, as far as, you know, technical advancements or tools that we've used, um, that, that again has really changed. Um, we always kind of laugh when we hear, you know, in public news that, that people are saying, oh, they, they, there's 3D printing now. I mean, 3D printing has been around for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. We've had our first, you know, FDM machine uh, probably about 20 years ago. Um, so in it, essence, it's not new. What's new is, is the cost and time and the quality of the parts that we're getting. Um, it's allowing us to use the process 
in almost every stage of development. And um, so we're, we're using 3D prototypes that are going out for user tests uh, for you know, these formative evaluations. Uh, we're actually developing a, a program right now for a drug delivery device company where we're actually 3D pr uh, printing the actual products that are, are being filled for uh, user tester with a placebo. So mm -hmm. we're able to do things that may have taken months now in a, in a week's worth of time. So that time to market and the appreciation of getting a physical product in your hand uh, is, is really the definitive thing for us with 3D printing. There are other companies, obviously, like the orthopedic companies that are printing uh, titanium or metal uh, objects that are actually used in patients. Uh, for the most part, for us, 3D printing is still in the prototyping world. Mm -hmm. uh, we may make a tool from it, but for the most part, we'll never... Uh, we, we we typically don't see the the cost benefits of going into a 3D part for production. Well, you don't do manufacturing, so it, it's not the same, right? So, yeah, but we do pilot pro, uh, prototyping up to maybe 100 units or so. So we can get you know to what they call alpha prototypes. We do alpha prototypes builds uh, mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but the the other real technical advancement that we're seeing that that that's a lot of fun and and completely different is the augmented reality and virtual reality tools uh, that are now being available for the design process. Um, we just completed a project uh, for, it was a large sort of a room-based system that would have been way too expensive to uh, build a prototype for. And we had to do a formative evaluation. Um, we were able to create an augmented reality uh, Using augmented reality, we're able to create models and, and basically capture the user insights without that physical prototype. Um, and that was the Canfield WB360, mm -hmm. uh, which actually won an IDSA gold last year. So it kind of, it doesn't prove that that's the reason it won, but it, it sure helped validate that the, the way we went to go down changing and modifying the design based on seeing it in 3D really helped. Um, and so, you know, I, again, there are these new tools, uh, by wearing a HoloLens, we can, we can touch and design and capture it, uh, without seeing it on a CAD model, mm -hmm. uh, with 3d printing. Now we can do it in multiple textures, multiple finishes, mu multiple durometers. Um, so everything just becomes much easier and affordable. So does that mean that, you know, the, the quality also goes up because now you can iterate, you know, many times over without Absolutely. The, the, the same cost as you had before, maybe? Absolutely. Yeah. That, so in certain cases, the costs go down, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, is, is a, a nice thing to see occasionally. Uh, but yeah, we're able to do uh, a lot more with, with internal prototyping that, you know, again, saves the time, saves the money. Um, and, and, and to your point, brings home a better design because we're able to go through more iterations. Well, and you mentioned earlier that there's a whole lot more user input or, or patient input on some of these things uh, and that it's you know, necessary to you know, design to their specs too, not just some you know, Fortune 100 company that says, hey, we need to create a better widget. So are you seeing uh, an incorporation of you know, more sensors and data, almost like the, the, um, 
uh, consumer side of like Internet of Things, what would be the comparison uh, on the medical product development yeah. space? Yeah, sure. I mean, we here call it the connected health. Um, and it's basically the ability to uh, for a product to, you know, basically intelligently communicate actionable insights for better patient care. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is probably, again, one of the more rapidly growing areas for HSD. Uh, digital health brings all, all of our uh, wheelhouse of capabilities in, into use. Um, you know, and includes the upfront usability of res- user research, more marketing research, potentially human factors, industrial design, user interface, user experience, mechanical software, electrical engineering, all these disciplines are working collaboratively um, to, to now not just prototype a mechanical wizard, uh, widget, but something that can communicate and, and actually become smart on a system. So it has to integrate with the existing hospital EMS management systems sometimes like EPICS mm-hmm. or in, in a lab, it might have to be on PACS. Um, I mean, for radiology, it would be on PACS. For labs, it would be on uh, LIMS. Um, and so these are these are sort of exciting areas to, to sort of uh, uh, be able to write an API for and, and have it work on different systems and become a bigger piece of a, of a, of a it's a small product, but it becomes larger in the system. Sure. And, and it, it's disrupting, you know, uh, workflows of, of, of current products based on, on, on the fact that they're um, smart. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, so let me ask you this then, because this has got to be something that you wrestle with and, and the, uh, you know, leadership there wrestles with is, you know, as the, the, the cost to iterate comes down, the tools, you know, become, you know, more cost effective and actually easier to access to create, you know, wow. new, de- new design. How, do, how does that, how does HSD continue to differentiate your, you know, itself in this space? Well, well, first of all, the cost of equipment to do this stuff, as I mentioned, augmented reality and 3d printing, the actual parts come down, but the equipment to do it and this, you know, the, the, the software to build it, that it keeps going up. So don't yeah. worry about that, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> so capital investment is still high, right? Yeah, right. Okay. exactly. Um, so what differentiates us in this space um, is a great question. And um, that's, that's something that we've, we've always been asked, and, and you, you could always come up with a, a quick answer. But the way I've, I've, I've really kind of thought about it is um, – Medical product development firms are very similar to hospitals and hospital systems. And if you think about that methodology, you know, a good firm will have us, uh, will be certified. It'll have the established QMS systems in place. That'll be a given, similar to a hospital. A good firm will have a process and a reputation in place for doing good work, similar to a hospital, right? Um, so we spend a lot of time on, you know, trying to win awards and, and trying to, to make uh, good on our promise of, of what we, we promise, uh, similar to a hospital. Um, but what makes a good hospital great? Um, it's the passion for the patient's health and the commitment for improving. Um, this is the same with us. We have the, everybody here at HSD thinks breeds for the client and, and actually for the users and trying to create a better product. Um, the other thing that, you know, good, great hospitals have is they typically have a specialty. Uh, and we're no different. Um, we have a, patient, a passion for creating award-winning products for sure, 
and we care about the safety and efficacy of the product, but we really, you know, have a specialty or a fondness for first of kind problems, um, those complex problems that um, are, are sort of on the hairy edge um, that, that need a lot of thought and system thinking in. Mm-hmm. That's really where we feel we, we can come in and, and really play a big role. You know, that's really great to hear, you know, especially comparison because, you know, folks aren't, a lot of times they're not sure what questions to ask uh, of their firms as they go to look for, you know, somebody to take their ideas to, to, you know, iteration and commercialization. So to, to hear, you know, how you are passionate, but also, you know, go through that process with them and, and kind of tick those boxes to reassure that they've made not just the right decision, but also give them the questions to ask other firms to make comparisons. I think that's really important. You know, what are, what are any final thoughts or is there anything else that I, I didn't ask that you want me to, uh, that um, you want to talk about today? I mean, I think you hit a lot of them. I, th- I think the only thing I would stress is that um, design is no longer a standalone business. Uh, and specifically medical device design, design needs to work in a highly collaborative manner. Mm-hmm. It's working with um, a lot of experts and, and, and uh, system thinkers that uh, are, are really changing the environment of the healthcare space. So um, as designers, we have to learn to speak in a lot of different languages, medical, engineering, marketing, and we need to be able to communicate the value of the design in the overall impact and the value to the user. Um, So, you know, just by saying you have a good user experience um, isn't good enough. We have to prove it and we have to make sure that, that it's understood through, you know, all the stakeholders. Sure. Well, listen, I really appreciate you joining me today on our, on our uh, first uh, in our series of recorded interviews. Uh, Tor, as always, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on. Thanks so much for your time, Justin. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast on behalf of hosts, Tor Alden and Justin Starbird. Thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over to the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thank you for listening.